one of the things that I tell people when they start investing is you're not shopping for you. And I think that's like very important for, you know, new investors. Hey, it's JP. Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We have another coaching call today with Steph and Mike, our young investor power couple. Hi, guys. Hey, Terry. Hi, Terry. How are you doing? We're good. good. How are you? Good. Um, So before we jump into property management, you guys each want to give us like just a one liner for people who haven't tuned in before just to kind of, you know, position, you know, who you are, what you're what you're up to. Yeah, for sure. You You want you want me to do it? Okay. (laughs) So, uh, so like Terry said, we're we're young investors um, looking to get into our first real investment deal, and so we have tons of questions. We're we're super new, so Terry's definitely helping us out in uh, in that sense. All right. So, what are we talking about today, guys? We had questions on property management today. Okay, um, let's do it. Um. So, I, I guess the first question that we had before we get too deep is you say that you specialize in non-performing properties and you go in and you turn them around. Can you just explain a little bit what that means to like, what's a non-performing property and like, what are some overall steps that you take to do that? Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, uh, you know, we've had some off-camera experiences, so I can (laughs) draw from those pretty quickly. I can give you two examples from this week. So, you know, one uh, thing is if you're looking at obviously like, you know, low, low rents and the way in which you can bring some of those rents up to market value. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Another, just a poorly managed building. And so what does that look like? It's when you're visiting it, the tenants have been left to sort of do whatever they want. And, you know, earlier on this week, I visited one building that has uh, like a bird sanctuary in it where like (laughs) literally the woman, I guess, was like, you know, was was breeding lovebirds. And so you walk in and there's like like one, two, three bird cages stacked one on top of the other. And I like walk in and like what a lot of birds in here. <laughs> Talk about the um, smell too. Oh God. Um but then but so so basically like you have that that kind of a situation that has been left by someone uh by the previous management. And so you have these problems that are there that are potentially depreciating the value of the building because any buyer is going to take one look at that and be like, oh man, this is like really a big problem. So it's it's depreciating the sale price because nobody wants to deal with that as a, as a management issue. And then there's also the fact of if tenants have been left to do things that they're not supposed to do and they're paying very low rents, well, then that becomes a way of like sort of cleaning up the building of how, you know, behaviors that people have that they shouldn't be having and they're benefiting from low rents as well. So you know, that's kind of one situation. The other situation is, is you know, kind of the physical state and upkeep of the building. And mm. that's the other thing is that, you know, when you kind of attack those problems, like you as the owner might not like that there's a bird sanctuary in the building or might not like, you know, that um, we had another experience actually together earlier this mm. week where, um, you know, we visited a, a basement unit that was, um, you know, done illegally where the people are chain smoking and then the ground floor tenant is busy, you know, smoking the cigarette smoke along with the people downstairs because of a ventilation problem. Like if you as the owner are able to clean that up, you're providing the residents with a better quality of life and 
that's either worth you know more money at the time of lease renewal or else you know should you have another tenant move in or again at a sale property value because nobody wants to visit a building and be like this place is plagued by tenant management problems and so you kind of have like two ways of 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 making money there one is by tightening up the tenant situation and adjusting the rents to market and the other one is just cleaning up a building and bringing its value up um, by making it more attractive to, to potential buyers who don't want to deal with that problem. And then there's also the whole expense column, right? Because like some people often just don't necessarily understand what they're paying for. So, you know, for example, insurance contracts, like sometimes, you know, I'll see buildings where the insurance is like double what it's supposed to cost because the owner maybe had a single family home with one company and they just called that company to give them an addition on their rental property. But that specific insurance company doesn't specialize in rental properties. So then they overcharge like crazy. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, another thing is if the, the previous landlord hasn't been doing their rent increases according to the TAL, which, you know, you can also see if, for example, all the, the rents are the same, right? Like, like, let's say they're all 700, 700, 700, 700. It means like somebody's not been using the tools that are given to property owners to adjust the rents. And so mm -hmm. like just by doing things professionally, you know, you're able to up the value of the building just by taking it under professional management. And those are some of the ways in which you can do it. Mm -hmm. So you take on a bit of the headache, but the rewards come a little bit later on. Absolutely. <laughs> I think just walking through the building this week, um, I, it was a bit of a reality check as to, you know, we don't have much experience going through these buildings and seeing how people live. So it was a bit of a reality check to see what's going on. And at the, my first instinct was get out of there. <laughs> like, this isn't for me. I, I I just can't see the potential, but obviously that, that comes with experience and seeing the, the potential that a building has is, I guess, super lucrative. So, Yeah. And I mean, and it's also, you know, like one of the things that I tell people when they start investing is you're not shopping for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like very important for, you know, new investors to keep in mind and to keep in mind that there are clients for all sorts of different products. And like if you drive like, you know, whatever, a, you know, standard uh, SUV that's you bought in the last three, four years, that's one client. But there's people who buy secondhand cars that are 15 years old for $2,000 that have rust and various little problems. And like there's a clientele for that. And so if you're selling Toyotas, if you're selling 20 year old Toyotas, like don't be ashamed of your Toyota. There are people who are going to want to buy that and just mm -hmm. because you maybe don't identify it as something you would want to drive doesn't mean that somebody else is not going to be very happy and that you can provide them a better quality of 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 the type of product that they're looking for which is going to make your units attractive versus someone else's so yeah. you got to pitch for your for your clientele and then not forget that it's a business proposition that needs to be assessed the same way you would as if you were like opening a fast food restaurant like Maybe I don't like to eat Big Macs, but there's definitely a market for that. And so I'm going to try to serve the market what it wants at a price that's advantageous to me and that the market can bear. Uh -huh. right. Take all emotion out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So another question that we had is, do you use superintendents or janitors in your properties? Um, and is it beneficial to have them and are there cases where you wouldn't recommend it versus you would recommend it that's a really good question i'm glad you <laughs> asked that so there's trade-offs okay if you have one of the tenants who is willing to take on some of that work so you know snow clearing um cleaning the 
common staircases, taking out the garbage, generally keeping an eye on the property. It's going to be much cheaper than if you hire independent contractors to come in and do it. So it can be a way to save money, but it's definitely a double-edged sword. And it's an arrangement that as I progress as an investor, I'm less and less willing to make because the first thing is you're kind of opening the door to abuse, right? And it's very rare that I've had a long relationship with a concierge that I'm actually happy with. And they they tend to fall, it tends to fall into two categories. One category is, you know, if someone who is happy to have the rent discount, but just doesn't do the job. And so you know, every time I go to the building, I'm like dissatisfied with the, the garbage. I'm dissatisfied with the state of cleaning. And then I have to be texting the person being like, did you do it? And then they're like, oh, OK, I'll do it. And then I know that if I don't go for another month, it's just not going to get done. So like I'm kind of spending money uselessly. So that that's one case. And then the other case, which is kind of <laughs> kind of better, but you'll see why not really is like sometimes you have like a super, you know, clean uh, persnickety tenant who is like wants to live in a clean environment. So they're very happy to like do those little maintenance things, but then they become this like overactive canary in a coal mine that's like mm. constantly chirping, you know? Okay. And I've actually ended concierge deals for both varieties of reasons because no, I don't want to be getting 12 phone calls from the building. No, I don't want to know and have requests of like, I need to put in you know, sonar paneling for $20,000 in every unit because people are mad at each other. Like, you need to filter that out for me. Like, I don't want those phone calls. And, and it's, it, that's, that's, it's, it's kind of wasting my time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, I, I, those, those arrangements, like, while they can save you money, it inevitably, you know, ends up creating other kind of problems. And then the other issue is that you also like have kind of a, a relationship with a tenant which is not purely like a tenant landlord relationship. You, they're also mm -hmm. kind of your employee. Mm -hmm. And over time, those are difficult relationships to maintain because, you know, like I gave you the example of my, I had one very, uh, you know, very high maintenance concierge who did a great job maintaining the building, but was constantly calling me. And that was then frustration to the point where I'm like, okay, I can't have you doing this anymore because I don't want you to have my direct phone line to call me every five minutes. And mm -hmm. the other one then, becomes someone who either, you know, then they pay their rent late. And so now, you know, you're you're threatening them to open a file at the towel because they're paying their rent late because they wanted the rent reduction, but then they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So it just, you know, kind of ends up in a in a complicated situation where you're mixing two relationships and like that's a bigger discussion, but like very often when you're, you know, mixing two relationships like friendship and business partners or like tenant and concierge or like employee and friend like whenever you have those kind of blended relationships, I'm not to saying it can't work, but it's mm -hmm. just something that's more complex than just having a sing simple down the line relationship. I'm going to pay this person. We're going to have an employer employee relationship. I don't like their service. I'll hire someone else, you know. Okay. And uh, just a follow up question. You had mentioned that you give them a rent reduction. Rent reduction. Um, would you also. So if you were to hire like a concierge in who lives in the building. Would you consider paying them, sorry, charging them regular rent, but then paying them on the side, like paying them as part of like your your payroll? Um, yeah, I mean, you can you can do that. There's really no difference because in terms of like what you declare on your taxes, um, basically like you're just declaring less income, and then you can sort of affect that. Like in your rent increases, you can just affect that as as a concierge service, and so. 
like it's kind of half a dozen of one and six of the other. It's just that if you give a rent reduction, um, it's actually kind of easier from an accounting point of view because then they don't have to send you bills. So I've kind of always done it that way. But okay. okay. I was thinking more from like when you go to sell the property, if you plan to sell the property, at least your rents look like they're higher. Um, well, you always do declare the full rent and then declare a concierge agreement. So okay. like, oh, okay. yeah, and that's actually a good question because it exposes the, the, the what you're asking, which is that like with my concierges, like I do have a concierge agreement. And so they will have a lease with like one actual real rent amount. And then we have a concierge agreement that takes, you know, whatever $30, $100, $150 off in exchange for this, this, this service at this, this, this frequency. And like, I found that in terms of keeping people on track, you kind of have to do that because you can't just be like, oh, you know, take out the garbage and I'll give you 30 bucks off. Like, no, mm -hmm. it's not specific enough and it needs to be written down somewhere. Mm -hmm. So definitely. And then you declare your, you know, when you come to sell the building, you declare your concierge agreement in your, in your expenses. Okay. 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 Yeah. Thanks. And maybe to touch on the the chirping tenant, what like let's say you're you're managing your own building and you're you're not hiring uh, externally for property management. What boundaries are you setting in place with your tenants so that you're not getting phone calls twenty times a day? And then I, I guess it's a little bit personal, but I guess what's your approach? Yeah, I mean, like I also think that's a great question because I think mm -hmm. if you're going to self manage, like this is something you need to put in place, like right from day one, yeah. and you know, my approach is always just be professional immediately. And so even though you only have one unit, you're a professional investor and you want your tenants to deal with you in a professional way. And like mm -hmm. they, you know, one of my big things is texting. And once your tenant has a cell phone number and they know it's your cell phone number, they're going to be texting you at 11 o'clock at night. And it's never nice, right? Mm -hmm. Like like the text messages you get at 6 a.m. or 11 o'clock at night are never, nobody's putting on their game face and having like a professional conversation. Whereas like mm -hmm. you would never, you know, call your banker at 11 o'clock at night and like be like, you know, where's my, where's my file? Text them something rude. No, you're going through their, like their phone service. And so like, even at a time when I, I didn't have an elaborate thing set up, like I just made sure never text the tenants, um, give the impression that it's a landline or you can, you know, there's cheap kind of IP phone addresses that you can have a reroute that goes through to your cell phone, mm -hmm. but it means that they actually can't text you. And like, that's my preference. And then when I call out, I have like the no caller ID function on my phone. So I put that so that they don't have, you know, my personal, my personal phone number. And I try to push people to email or else, um, you know, phone phone calls between nine to five, Monday to Friday. And then obviously there has to be an emergency option somewhere. Yeah. But you really need to like intentionally, intentionally set it up in a way that works with your life. And so yeah. some people don't mind texting. Some people prefer to receive like a text message alert. You can, there are all kinds of services. There's like a phone to text thing where like they call a number and they can speak a message and then you get a message like kind of translated as a text. Like, there's all kinds of solutions. And so before you just go and give out your personal cell phone number, like I would spend some time intentionally thinking, how do I want to run my business? Because you're running a business. And so, you know, what's my client facing thing? It needs to be user friendly. They need to be able to get in touch with you. But it should not, uh, you should be giving a professional impression so that you're minimizing unnecessary disturbances at unwanted times. And you're also like, encouraging them to interact with you in a professional way like even if you're getting a call from like bell that you didn't pay your cell phone like chances are that you're going to be interacting with that person 
as a professional as opposed to, you know, when your landlord is like, oh, you know, the rent is late and and then the person ends up swearing at you, right? Like, yeah. and, you know, anec- anecdotally, like even in terms of, of my own properties, like I don't, my tenants don't know if they live in a property that I own or if I, they live in a property that I manage because I'm just Teresa adjointe comptable mm-hmm. and I'm the, you know, I'm the the manager who's dedicated to your unit and I'm the person you talk to at the management company, but like, do they, do you know that I own the building? Not necessarily. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I'll just pivot a little bit here. Um, do you ever do quarterly walkthroughs or regular walkthroughs through your properties to maybe just do some preventative checkups? Because sometimes I feel like tenants might just let things go. Whereas as a property owner, you know that there could be some negative consequences down the line if you let a certain issue last too long. Is that something yeah. you do? Enjoying the episode so far? Have you really been listening to the episode or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, mindfullandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I, and you know, I'll even go one step further and say, um, you know, some of the properties that I have under management, because I don't manage all my own properties now, um, I do walkthroughs of those properties too uh, every so often, just because I don't have 100% confidence that the property manager is going to be as on top of some of those niggling issues as I would be. And mm-hmm. there might be things there that are not to my liking. So I definitely find pretexts, like even though I have staff um, who, you know, is usually doing the back and forth, like I will go through walkthroughs and then I actually have, um, you know, one sort of trusted employee who like works internally at my company that has the same sort of standards as I do. And so when she goes and, you know, she'll do visits or, or do other things at the properties and like I know that like if something's up she will let me know and then I can address it as if I was there physically. Um, and and she's not, like she's someone that I pay myself. She's not uh, an employee of the property management company because you have to think like the way the information flows is the employees of the property management company is going to tell the boss. Mm-hmm. And if the boss is trying to like, he has a thousand things on his plate and doesn't have time to deal with Terry's building, he's not going to take the time to call me and be like, oh, guess what? You know, your concierge didn't take out the garbage and it's mm-hmm. building up. Like I'm not going to, be aware of that and I'm not going to be able to kind of track what the person like what the manager is doing so mm-hmm. okay do you do uh like walkthroughs inside the unit as well or just exterior through the um, rooms I, mean, and stuff? I don't I, I wouldn't say that I have like a formal thing where I'm like oh okay I it's 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 March 1st I need to do mm-hmm. the walkthrough of this unit but it's more just like I have you know a pretext that if I'm if it's in in Montreal if it's in the city um, and I know this day my path is taking me close to the building. Sometimes I'll just go have a look or like I'll be mm-hmm. like, oh, I haven't been there in a while. Like instead of sending my employee, let me go and do it. And then with the stuff that I invest in, like in, in you know, secondary markets in, in Trois-Rivières, like, okay, it's been three, four months. I haven't gone to Trois-Rivières. Like maybe now it's time for me to go. And then I will just take a drive by um, to all the properties and like go through the common areas. Um, am I going into every unit? No, I'm not. 
But if there are specific units, like you, you get to know your tenants and you get to know where the problems are. And there are units that we have like an inspection calendar. So, you know, like right now we have about two problem tenants that you're their units we're going into every two weeks to a month because there are problems that we're checking on. And so if it's not me, then it's my assistant who's going because they've received notifications and we want to make sure that their standard of cleanliness is up and, and everything else. Okay. And when dealing with the tenants um, in terms of like collecting rent, delivering messages and communicating with them, you, you talked about being professional. So what are some of the ways that you would, you know, set that up to, to maintain that professionalism? Yeah, well, I mean, like I always use the bank as a <laughs> as a as a benchmark, right? Like when I'm calling my banker, like they have a phone system. I have to press two. I have to leave a message. Mm -hmm. Half the time they don't pick up the phone right away or I have to write an email and I don't expect to get a message back one second later. So, you know, it's like some some version of that. So like I have to set up. I don't want I don't want texting because yeah. I find that it brings out the worst in people. I don't want to text with my tenants. So I just I'm always on caller, you know, call uh, no caller ID. Yeah. And then they have a number that they call into where if they press a certain option, they can talk to me at any time, but mm -hmm. they don't really know that I'm just an option on that phone. And and if I don't want to pick it up, it goes straight to like a digital voicemail that I can then listen to. So I, I can screen the calls and kind of know what's going on. Okay. Um, and then, you know, it does, does take some self-discipline because like it's very easy to just fire off a text message because it's easy. And so mm -hmm. you have to set up a system and then you have to respect it yourself. And, you know, I, I just take the model of like the way my banker or my insurance company communicates with me. And that's how I communicate with my tenants because I want to be perceived as the property management company okay. uh, who you don't just insult because they're the owner writing the checks. Like I'm yeah. just, I'm just a manager, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. And what about in, what about in cases where you want to have like official, like documentation, like documentation for, I don't know, you need to send them something to sign or some paperwork or, or you need to send them a notice. Um, what would you do in that case? Is it just an email or? Well, again, it, it, it depends what uh, what exactly you're doing. I mean, if you're starting like a kind of a legal proceeding, mm -hmm. um, very often that begins with, uh, you know, uh, a formal formal notice, right? Or mise en demeure, right? And so, so, and that needs to be delivered by an official channel. So if you want to do it smoothly, send a recommended letter. If you want to like deliver it with some punch, you send the bailiff. And, uh, you know, people, people, when you send the bailiff, people take it seriously, you know, because it's, yeah. it's, it's costs money and, and, you know, it's a person who's not going to go away. You can't not sign for the bailiff. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, for kind of softer issues, like, you know, I'll, I'll give you the one example, one of the tenants who's on like a two week visiting schedule, like he had, uh, like just a very bad cleaning problem and it was beginning to like attract mice and, and, you know, kind of, uh, pollute the building. And so like, when we notified him of that, it's like I write a, an official email and then I call or sometimes I'll call first and then follow up and be like, look, I need to send you an official communication about this, but I want to have a, a like a conversation about it so that you know what's going on. And then very often, like it will be something like that, where um, if I'm trying to, you know, get a situation back that can be pulled back with goodwill, um, I'm kind of combining those two things. I mean, then there are obviously people, you know. Uh, with who the relationship's more complicated where like I do just force it through written channels because it's you know sometimes verbal communication you don't want to give them an opportunity to to fly off the handle at you and because you do need to sometimes be concerned about writing everything down and, and how mm -hmm. the communication happens to document like mm -hmm. no we are addressing this problem this and and here are the steps and I want to track every single one of the steps. So. Okay 
Not okay. makes sense. And in terms of collecting rent, is there one method that you use for all your tenants? Or is it like some tenants will pay by check, some will do e-transfer, some you'll do direct withdrawal from their account? How does that work? Um, so, I mean, we use the uh, property management system, Proprio Expert, and they have actually like an electronic payment system integrated, which sends the tenant an email and then they can pay either with um, their credit card or by doing like a, a bank transfer. And the nice thing about that is that it then deposits the money directly into the appropriate bank account. Now, if you have three units, I'm, I'm not recommending that that's necessarily something you can do. You might want to either, you know, then you can get post-dated checks or you can accept e-transfers. But, um, you know, at one point I was accepting like 100 e-transfers, right? So like I have, you know, I have my yeah. 10 checks deposit and then, I, and then I'm spending like a day doing e-transfer deposits. And I was like, no, like this is not, you know, somewhere that I want to go. Um, I, I, there are some property managers who put in like, um, the, the direct, there's direct debit systems where you can like, just get like a recurring payment, but tenant buy-in for that is a little bit more difficult because they have to fill out a form. Uh, some people don't like to do it. Some people, you know, it's just the, the in terms of getting like the collaboration of people, I found that the electronic payment system that sends them an email has the highest rate of success because it just, they receive an email on the first and they just have to click through and do it. But like, I would be lying to say that we, if we had a hundred percent success with that, we don't, we have, you know, some old people who only function with checks and have no online banking. Then we have some people who we can't get off the e-transfer system. So like I am still depositing certain transfers. Yeah. <laughs> and if you have less units, you know, like if you have like even up to 10, 10, 15 units, like you might just want to go the e-transfer route because it's simple. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so maybe we can pivot a bit again. Um, we hear a lot about the TAL, um, being in favor of the tenants. And as a landlord, maybe you can speak to some of the challenges that you face or, or is there a misconception that it's always in favor of the tenant? Maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, like is it something we should be scared of yeah. or use it as a tool? <laughs> um, I mean, I think realistically a bit of both. Um, yeah. You know, the laws in general, like, are pretty tenant facing. I mean, if you talk to somebody who, you know, is in other provinces of Canada or somewhere in the US, like, they will actually, like, laugh when they hear, mm -hmm. um, you know, what our tenancy laws are. Now, if you're investing in Quebec, that's just kind of the cost of doing business. And so you have to, I, I would say, make your peace with it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I go to tell, I want to say, every two weeks or every month. So, okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, by now, like, I'm kind of not uh, intimidated. I think you need to be prepared that the first, like, two, three, four times you'll be intimidated. And, like, the judges are also, it's a mixed bag. So, you know, sometimes you will get a judge who's, like, more, uh, in who will listen to you and be more in favor of whatever you have to say. Sometimes they're really giving you the smackdown um, and, and, you know, not letting you talk. And then that can be kind of, like, a bit intimidating. But I think... You know, once you kind of know the laws, it's almost easy to predict like when you're going to when you're going to win, when you're not going to win, when they might find in favor of the tenants. And, and to me, like, I think the biggest problem is ignorance when it comes to this. I think a lot of owners don't get like don't get to the end of a specific process because they think, oh, we can't win, you know, and, and like the rental board. Actually, there are a lot of tools, but you kind of have to know how to leverage it in your favor. And and I'll give you an example. Like uh, when I do go to non-payment files now, I systematically, you can go for non-payment, but then you can also go for consistent late payment. 
And so now, like when I open a non-payment file, I always check the box for consistent late payment. And then even if the tenant has paid up by the by the day that the audience is, very often like the owner just won't go because they're like, oh, the tenant doesn't owe me any money anymore. And so like, let me just give up on this. But like, no, you can go and request from the judge that they condemn the tenant to pay always on the first. And so there it's perfect for you because now you don't have to run after like if the tenant has payment issues, like now you don't have to run after them. So either they are responsible for making sure their rent is paid on the first and the first time they don't pay on the first you're back at the towel and you ask for an eviction. Okay. Okay. So it's like really knowing that when, you know, you open a file or when you're going to use the system, like, okay, this is a case in which the system will help me or this is a case in which good luck, you know, and like everything that's not payment issues, very difficult to use the towel um, as a tool to get compliance, like for, you know, cleanliness or uh, damages or, well, actually, Damages after the fact is one of the places where I've had um, the most success when tenants really like break a unit and and leave damage. Like winning a case like that is not that difficult, but like kind of ongoing cleanliness problems or like ongoing damages while they're occupying the unit, it's very difficult to, to use the towel as a way to rehabilitate that situation. Okay. Okay. And let's say you do have to take a case to the towel. Like, what would you recommend the best way to be prepared is other than knowing the, what the laws are? Like, is it bringing evidence or? What would you suggest? Yeah, I mean, the fact is that there's just like so many permutations of things. And like now with the experience that I have, like I know exactly how to prepare a file and I know like, okay, like for example, the late payment thing, mm-hmm. like sometimes the judge will just, you know, you show their payment history for the last year and the judge will be like, okay, that's enough to condemn them. Okay. Sometimes they want to know, is this causing you a serious prejudice? In which case you have to bring the proof of the credit line that you've been borrowing on where you've been incurring interest costs because they have to show that you actually have some kind of a financial prejudice, right? Okay. And so like, because I've just played that chess game out a bunch of times, I know like I can prepare my file that like if I get a stroppy judge and they ask me difficult questions, like I my file is deep enough that I'm going to win anyway. Um, obviously, there are lawyers who, to, who do this. And, you know, if you have um, a high stakes file and you feel like you're kind of new at it maybe you hire a lawyer and you know like they have an hourly rate of 200 bucks an hour they're it's going to cost you whatever 800 a thousand dollars for the day because they're going to have to go and sit there and da 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 but maybe that's money well spent depending on how much you're looking at getting or if you're looking at getting an eviction or something that's going to stand to bring you money maybe you just hire a lawyer and go sit with them and once you see how they prepare the file then you're going to know how to represent yourself the next time okay that's a good idea that's a good point yeah um, we have a few more questions, but I think we're. I think we have time for one more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So pick your pick the one that's at the top of your list. Go. Okay. What are some ways? So if we are working with a property management company, but we're early on in our investment careers and we don't have much money to pay the full amount, what are some ways that we can split the tasks with them in order to save some money, but also get some help? How would you recommend approaching that mm-hmm. and what tasks are realistic to ask someone else to do and what's realistic for new investors to do. And is that even yeah. possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's kind of a tough, it's a tough thing and I'll tell you why. So, you know, property managers don't have huge profit margins. So they're going to be taking on your management business from like somewhere between five to 7% of gross rent. It's not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things is that property managers, like sometimes for you as the property manager, it can actually be more work 
to have to work around uh, someone else who's like partly self-managing and then you're doing part of the work. Like sometimes that can really be a pain unless the tasks are divided up very well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, me at this point, um, for most of my units, I keep the administrative admin. So rent collection, um, any tenant, like, you know, tenant relations with, that require the towel. Like I, we, I do that in-house from my office here. And then the property managers on site will do more of like the handling of the maintenance. So, I mean, that is one way that you can you can split things up. But I feel like that's something that's more when you get into the professional level. I think that that's more, you know, something that you can do at that point. And I would say when you're starting out, your choice really is self-manage or hire someone. And, you know, I usually recommend people to start self-managing if it's at all possible. And that way you get to know your property, you get to know what you're doing. And then when a year later you hire someone, um, you already have a grasp of the tasks that they're doing and you already have a relationship with the property. And um, yeah. so, you know, even if you're investing, let's say, out of your home market, you know, I would recommend to be as kind of involved as you can initially on the self-management. And like, I know it's it's not easy, but if you have a triplex, um, you know, an hour an hour away, maybe you do try to manage that for a year and you know, get the plumbing contract contacts yourself. And, you know, if it's, if the property is in not too bad shape, maybe you can handle that from a distance. So, yeah. Okay. okay. Awesome. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, guys, thank you for the 20 questions on property management. Yeah, <laughs> Anytime. Yeah. Thanks for answering your questions. Thank you for, for coming on the show again and, you know, sharing your, your questions and your journey um, with the audience. I think as we try to do more coaching calls, um, it's refreshing for me to see the questions that people have initially and the concerns that they have and to be able to address them in this format. So thank you. Yeah. We appreciate thanks so it. Much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank thanks, Terry. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.